When we can pause and learn to take better care of ourselves, then we actually are going to be a better parent. We're going to be a better spouse. We're going to be better for our patients or our siblings. We're just going to be an overall better, uh, we're going to have better relationships and we're going to have more energy and better moods when we do those things to take care of ourselves. And it was a hard lesson to learn. It's been a slow process, but now I can completely relate things like if I have a grumpy month, I can look back at my calm meditation app and I know I will have less than 20 meditations for the prior month. It's happened twice to me. And I thought, what is going on? Where's my calm? And I look back and I say, oh, you didn't put the time in with your meditation. So you're not going to have the outcome. Welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast, where we talk about people's passions and hope to inspire you to your own. We also answer the question, what if you could just add 1% more meaning to your life every day for the next year? So join us on this meaningful revolution. I'm your host, Sean Butner, Certified High Performance Coach, and we have a really great episode for you today, so let's get into it. Aaron regularly leads breakthrough wellness workshops, retreats, and coaching programs for physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, and other clinicians to help them create and maintain balance, enhance their health, happiness, performance, and thrive personally and professionally. With that said, Aaron, welcome to the Meaningful Revolution. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you, Sean. And it's such a great honor to be here. And I just wanted to pause and and just say that the way we connected a year ago, the way we became friends was actually a great um, a great example of the person that you are and why I so appreciate connecting with you. And we were on a coach's call and I desperately needed some help with my website because I was having a workshop in just a few days. My first one ever was struggling with my website, asked for help and Sean's like, I'm your guy. And you know, the kindness of a relative stranger at the time. And since then I've been interacting with other people who are also friends with Sean and they've had similar acts of kindness and just have such great things to say about your big serving heart. And so it's just really a great honor and pleasure to be able to spend this time with you. Thanks again for having me. Of course, and it's been a pleasure to get to know you more over this past year. Um, and thank you so much for those kind words. It's, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Always kind of catches me off guard. It's very touching, so I appreciate <laughs> it. So, in um, any case, yeah. today we're going to be talking about self-care and something that you know quite a bit about. Um, can you maybe start off with the definition of what self-care is and maybe in the context of being a physician, um, especially after a very crazy like three plus years <laughs> with COVID and, and all mm -hmm. the things that have happened in health. So as a physician and healthcare provider, and also as a parent, um, oftentimes I feel self-care is a foreign topic with mm -hmm. people like me. And I know that I didn't learn to do much self-care for myself until 20 years into my medical career when I started working with a high-performance coach myself. And that's when I learned to start setting boundaries and prioritizing myself, not always prioritizing my family or my patients above the needs of my own. And I think that it's very common, kind of instilled in us all the way back from medical school when we start doing 
you know, when we're studying 16, 18 hours a day, and then we get into clinical rotations and we're on overnight call and you're given a list of things to do, whether it's learning in the classroom or patient care and notes to take care of, and your instructions are to get it done no matter what the cost. And so then you move into residency and you have even more clinical responsibilities. The hours get even longer, the call days get more frequent. And at no time, once you finish your training and you go into, you know, into your own practice, does anybody say, okay, now it's time, go ahead and start taking care of yourself. Now's the time to get good sleep, to exercise, to eat healthier. And so you're so used to being on this adrenaline soaked existence, always doing and rarely just being and not prioritizing healthy things like exercise and sleep and yet it takes a toll and so for myself 20 years into my medical career i actually was diagnosed with cancer and i'm sure that that had something to do with the stress and lack of self-care that had been going on in my life for over 20 years since i had started um, studying medicine and i think as a parent and a physician then you're putting your kids first and then when does that self-care come into play and yet when we can pause and learn to take better care of ourselves then we actually are going to be a better parent we're going to be a better spouse we're going to be better for our patients or our siblings we're just going to be an overall better uh, we're going to have better relationships and we're going to have more energy and better moods when we do those things to take care of ourselves, And it was a hard lesson to learn. It's been a slow process, but now I can completely relate things like if I have a grumpy month, I can look back at my Calm meditation app and I know I will have less than 20 meditations for the prior month. It's happened twice to wow. me. And I thought, what is going on? Where's my calm? And I look back and I was like, oh, you didn't put the time in with your meditation. So you're not gonna have the outcome. If you're enjoying listening to this episode of the Meaningful Revolution podcast, there's another kind of conversation that you might really enjoy. So check out Dara here explaining a little bit about high performance coaching. I feel like in this particular moment where all of us need massive amounts of self-care, high performance coaching is one of those huge gifts you could give to yourself for self-care. It's one of those things that just shapes your life in all these ways you never imagined. And I think I would just tell a friend that it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and get ready because it's gonna shake up your life. <laughs> like, it almost feels like, you know, you don't even realize as you're going along kind of these progressive steps and all of a sudden you know 12 sessions in or however many sessions in you're like wait a minute i'm planning and thinking about a life that is you know drastically different in many ways and so it's just it's almost like this mental shaking up and getting all the crap out of your head so i think it's it's an amazing experience and it's incredibly energizing and it's worth every penny. Awesome. I love having deep conversations with folks, whether they're in my podcast or in my coaching practice. And so if you'd like to have 
your meaningful revolution started through a conversation and high performance, please stay tuned to the end of this episode for your invitation on how to get started. And so there's a, a direct cause and effect that I can see in my own life when I um, when I don't do my own self-care. Same thing with lack of proper sleep or exercise. So knowing that I was going to be a guest here today and wanting to be on my A game, as soon as my husband got home from his 24-hour shift today, we had our coffee and I said, let's go out for a jog. I know that's going to get my brain in the right place. <laughs> it's going to boost my energy and allow me to be a better version of myself than not doing those things. And when we learn to prioritize that self-care, just as much as we prioritize our parenting or getting reports done for people in my career, uh, then we realize we're gonna have better outcomes. Right on. And I, I love this connection into, you know, having that, that space to take, you know, we talk about it a lot in high performance that, you know, mm -hmm. your productive times are just as important as the times where you're, you're rejuvenating, you're reflecting, you're um, able to have that perspective on what's going on and what's helpful to you and, and to, and then not burn out, which is damaging your health and relationships along the way. And as someone that had been in, you know, tech culture for a while and mm -hmm. doing software, um, not a profession that's also known for really taking care of themselves. Um, but I know that for me, like when you use your brain to solve problems, like code or when you need to access medical knowledge to properly, you know, diagnose or treat someone, um, you want to be on the top of your game. So um, first off, I wanted to ask you, like, how as a doctor, I've always wanted to ask a doctor this. And every time I see my doctor, he's like, OK, you know, check this, do, 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 and then out. But um, it always struck me as ironic or, or kind of funny that the people that are supposed to be in charge of our health are often not able to take care of their own. Like, could you right. maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that that medicine has changed a lot. And so it's kind of like um, frogs in a pot of water and mm -hmm. the heat just gets cranked up a little more, a little more, a little more. So when I started practicing medicine 25 years ago, I actually joined a group of pediatricians who had been practicing together for 22 years, all five of them. Wow. And they did things like they went camping together. They socialized. We had holiday parties. We were friends and we were colleagues. And there was, there was an ebb and flow. And so in pediatrics, it used to be in the summertime, you might see eight, 10 patients a day because everybody was healthy and there wasn't a lot going on. You saw some checkups and things. And then things got busier in the winter during the illness months. Mm -hmm. And then things slowed down again. But there was this ebb and flow so that you would be running full speed ahead in the winter and then you had time to recharge, time to connect. And then the temperature in medicine kept heating up a little bit. So cutting down on payment, um, increasing the expectations on documentation, HIPAA came along. So, you know, all of these things, then the electronic health record. And there's some good things to all of those. And yet each of them adds another burden. Somebody used to be in the hospital for two weeks. Now they might be hospitalized for two days for the same problem. So you think about the turnover and the churn, and now you got to learn 
five times as many patients in that same period of time and document 10 times as long. So that heat has continued to ratchet up. And that's just in my 25 year career, Mm -hmm. you know, not going back much further than that. But then it's hard to recognize, oh, wait, we need to change something because the heat just kept going. And now the pot is boiling. And so everybody's already fried and burnt out. (laughs) And now you have a pandemic come along to add even more fuel to that fire that you're in that boiling pot. So it's a complicated, um, it's complicated and, and we are not taught to care for ourselves. We're taught Mm -hmm. to be doers. Mm -hmm. And so for learning to just be, to relax, to take a nap, to take a few minutes of quiet time, we're so used to doing, and again, running on adrenaline and caffeine and unhealthy foods to keep going. And then you just crash. And then you get enough energy to just start it all over again. So, so one of my passions is helping the individual physicians, healthcare providers, parents, um, learn to change the things that they have control over. But one of my bigger missions that I would love to do is positively impact the culture of medicine so that it is not something we would regret if our own children entered the field of medicine because it's just can be it's so rewarding and yet very um, damaging to relationships and health especially for women in medicine and as more and more women enter medicine and we practice differently than the men Mm -hmm. we have our own set of challenges and so then how does that affect our parenting and our ability to be a mom and a physician when the the culture was created by male counterparts who do medicine differently so it's a really complicated um place to be and and we have to shift mindsets and get out of closed western medicine thinking mindsets and for me when i shifted my focus from general pediatrics to child abuse medicine and i got a real better understanding of trauma and what it does to us so not just for children who are being abused but also for the healthcare providers who are in in traumatic situations during their career. And you're expected, maybe you've got a traumatic situation going on in your own life, but you've got surgery to do, or you've got a patient who's coding and you have to shelf the things that are going on in your own life. And at some point we have to deal with those things. Yeah. So it's it's complicated. Uh, and, and my hope is, is we can start doing a better job and digging into our own selves. And that's one of the things I love about being a coach and learning about that, thinking more philosophically, not just science minded. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's so important. So I had a, a former client and one of my, in my coaching practice who was in the education system and worked at with more at need populations. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the stories she would have of like, oh yeah, I saw a kid and they just said they saw their best friend shot in front of their house yesterday after yeah. school. And you know, the trauma to that I felt mm-hmm. listening, like this is a terrible thing. And I wasn't even like remotely involved. It's just a very intense situation. Like I imagine medicine is, um, mm-hmm. you know, that secondary trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you, you d- deal with that? Um, she actually ended up starting an organization to work with schools on trauma informed care, which is treating the organization as a system. And that like, mm-hmm. not only is the student, the one that experiences the trauma, but it's all the caretakers, all the teachers, all the faculty around them. And how do you help manage them through? So 
I just had that that kind of connection where it sounded maybe a, a similar thing to you. But yeah, um, I'm curious then, like, why? I mean, maybe we already covered this, um, but why is the why do you feel it's so important to change this culture in medicine? Right. So mm -hmm. you mentioned that it was built by people who practice medicine a bit differently, mm -hmm. mainly men, which is <laughs> right. Hard to say. Um, and the changing things with HIPAA and all, you know, electronic records. So the administration's mm -hmm. kind of ramped up with maybe, you know, mm -hmm. you're still sitting on a doctor hours, just maybe more being taken up by that or pushing into personal life. But um, well, and well, there's also a big thing I didn't mention is loss of autonomy. And so okay. back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, many medical practices were self-owned. So the physicians were their employer. And now there's been a huge shift over, especially in the last few years, where hospitals and other big organizations are buying up practices. And so when I first started practicing medicine 25 years ago, and um, we were self-employed, so about 25 physicians, different practices. And so there were surgeons and OBGYNs and pediatricians and internists, and everybody earned a different salary based on their productivity. And everybody contributed to the cost of the buildings and things. But if you chose to be a lower producer and you went at a slower pace, which is what I did, then I was going to take home less, and that was my choice. But one of the other things that's happening is that they're taking, you know, all of the square and round and triangular pegs and trying to fit them into the same shape, <laughs> whether you practice medicine one way or another. And so there's this um, productivity churn requirement for physicians who are now self or who are now employed physicians instead of self-employed so that autonomy is gone and as we know being coaches when you are disempowered you feel like nothing you do is going to make a difference you get into that victim mode you feel trapped and then you just kind of like give up and you're like why bother and so again the coaching and trying to make a movement and a raised awareness that no we really do have some choices we can set boundaries if you have sick time you should be able to take that sick time even if you're understaffed right, right? because then otherwise you're enabling the organization mm -hmm. to not you know credit you with the time that you deserve and so so many people just feel trapped by their circumstances and because they are servants and they want to help their patients they feel like if i say no if i set a boundary my patient is going to suffer and they don't deserve that so they would choose for their own selves to suffer and they're just going to put in that extra time whether it's reimbursed or not because they don't want their patients to suffer and my hope is is that we can say yes we need to do great patient care and at the same time we need to not do such self-sacrificing while doing it and everybody's going to benefit because then you might be able to practice medicine 20 30 40 years instead of feeling burnt out after five or ten which is so common now yeah and and it is not it's not specific for healthcare, as you're saying in your you know your former industry <laughs> and teachers it, you know the themes are common and so i think that as we raise awareness in more and more groups and language becomes more common and we don't just talk about self-care but we model it and we encourage it to be um you know in my office now 
it's common if we're, we've got a break in patient care, we'll go for a walk outside and nobody's going to criticize us. Nobody's going to be sitting at their desk going, why aren't they chained to their desk working? Right. So there, there's been a culture shift so that we celebrate when somebody takes a vacation or takes some needed time off instead of grumbling about it and making them feel guilty about it. So it is yeah. possible. That, that's so powerful. You know, I, I think, um, couple of weeks ago, by the time that this podcast is released, I was talking with Carrie Petrie. If you, uh, I, she might, she's in our, um, one of our coaching groups uh-huh. um, together. Uh, she was talking about wellness and functional medicine. She came from law and um, mm-hmm. really talked about how changing culture could be really uh, painful in, in that, you know, she, was able to come up with a here's how to do a wellness thing in my banking organization for free, you know, just leveraging people that were really wanted to model or had expertise there. And mm-hmm. that being super, super um, hard to do and hard to move. So I know that that's a, it's a huge feat yeah. and I want to just honor you for um, recognizing it and then wanting to help mm-hmm. uh, change it. Yeah. And it's the other thing, I think it's very slow. I actually remember being at a live training with Brendan Burchard and I raised my hand and he called on me and I, I felt like I was one of the only people in my organization that had a growth mindset that was learning and wanting to move and change things. And I was like, what do you do when you're all alone? When you feel like nobody else is on the same page? He's like, buy him one of my books, bring him to one of my <laughs> conferences, right? And so with that patience that, be, being okay with slow, it's not going to change overnight. So over the course of four years, working with my CEO, working with my other colleagues, by the time I stepped down from my medical director position, there was a palpable change to the culture. And I felt good because other people kind of recognized, hey, this is here because of you. You helped start this. And the CEO who also had a growth mindset and we would do things like talk about Brene Brown during supervisory meetings and things, which wasn't the norm when I started 10 years ago. But being patient and then seeing things develop on their own timeline has been very rewarding. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds, that's very exciting to hear, you know, from someone that kind of looks at a lot of medical stuff from the outside it to me just seems a lot like a mess, you know, um, mm-hmm. it probably is probably really messy depending on where you are and which organization, you know, that whole thing. Uh, but okay, to maybe switch gears a little bit, I'm wondering, um, how did you get started in, on the path of becoming a doctor and then a pediatrician? And then this, uh, uh, what, what self-care coach? Mm-hmm. So uh, I have an older brother and I really looked up to him. We were the middle children in our family of four. And um, he wanted to be a veterinarian probably when I was like second or third grade. And so because he wanted to be a veterinarian, I wanted to be a veterinarian. We had horses and animals. We lived out in the country. And um, so that was my goal until I hit college. And, and I've always had a love of children and I babysat and taught swimming and taught gymnastics and lifeguarded and did lots of things with kids. And so my freshman year of college, I realized that there's lots of people who can work with animals, but I also am really good with people. And so Mm -hmm. I decided to make a shift and, um, decided that I wanted to apply to medical school instead of veterinary school and then had, you know, 
kind of had my sights on pediatrics from the beginning, knowing that that was the population that I really enjoyed working with. Yeah. And, and then, um, but I don't come from a family of medical people. <laughs> I come from, you know, attorneys and teachers and, and folks, but not any, uh, any physicians. Um, so I was lucky and had a mentor. My sister's boyfriend was in medical school when I was an undergrad. And so he acted as my mentor and helping guide me and helping me figure out how to get into medical school and different strategies, which was really a great, a great gift um, oh, wow. that I received. Yeah. So because I, well, the, the undergrad that I went to actually had this fast track program where you did a three years, it was UC Riverside. So you did you started out as an undergrad and the top 24 in your class, that pre-med class would go straight into medical school. So their fourth year as an undergrad was actually their first year of medical school classes oh, through cool. UCLA. So it was all the people that spent all their time in the library, didn't have any outside interests. And I joined a new sorority. I was a, in leadership in the sorority. I was on the ski team. I enjoyed hanging out with friends. I didn't spend all my time in the library. So actually when I met with the pre-med advisor, at my undergrad, she told me not to apply to medical school. Like wow. basically they don't want, they don't want people like you, you're not a straight A student. And so for me, I had to make a choice. Am I gonna listen to this person who doesn't believe in me? <laughs> or am I gonna challenge that no from the person who's supposed to be guiding me and giving me advice to help me get into medical school? Mm -hmm. And so I chose not to meet with her anymore and happenstance my my sister was dating a person in medical school he lived about an hour away and he became my pre-med advisor he wasn't a straight a student either we were very similar in our studies and interests and more pretty well-rounded and now i think that's looked at more for people candidates applying to medical school but back 25 30 years ago that wasn't necessarily the case um, so that was a really powerful shift where I didn't take no for an answer. <laughs> and I looked for somebody who was going to support me in my dream mm -hmm. and say, no, really, I can do this and listen to his advice and successfully obviously made it into medical school. Yeah, That is so powerful. And I hope everyone that was listening kind of picked up that, you know, there will be times in your life where the authorities or someone you look up to will <laughs> not be supportive, but there's so many people that will support you. And there's so many ways if you really want something to go out and get it. And I think that's such a powerful, simple lesson um, from, from your story that I hope people take away from it. Um, because I, I think that's such a powerful thing to not get stuck in how things really are. And it actually probably, maybe you have a, a thought on this, but has that experience maybe trickled into wanting to change the culture and medicine as kind of like mm -hmm. a bigger thing like like no no it doesn't have to be this way i can we can yeah. change this yeah and i think that um i had a very unique experience as a uh late teen early 20 year old my mom um, remarried and she married an airline pilot and along with his um his employee benefits included discounted passes so we could travel almost anywhere in the world for like $25 so we took advantage wow. of that a lot but we never had a guaranteed seat mm -hmm. and so we would show up and we may or may not get on that airplane and sometimes it would 
create days of delays or we'd have to problem solve. But it really gave me, you know, I had people say, this flight is oversold by 170 seats. Like, don't bother, find a different flight. And I learned, nope, I'm going to stay right here till that plane takes off. And there were times where I got on that oversold flight. And there were times where they said, no, it's too late. You can't check in for this international flight. You were supposed to be here three hours ago. And it's like, well, there was a, a strike with the um, the public transportation and that kind of put a wrench in things. And so then they they told me no. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to go find another employee and I'm going to find a way to get around that. And so it just really helped me fine tune my problem solving and realize I don't have to take my at first no, I can handle rejection <laughs> and then problem solve and say, do I really need to listen to that advice and being really choosy about who I want to listen to advice. And one of the reasons I appreciate connecting with you and our, our group of coaches is that we're a special group of people that are there to support each other, that we know paying something forward, we're going to get, you know, multiple fold back in what we give out to the world. Right. And so mm -hmm. it's a, it's a unique community. And so I choose who I want to be in my community. I'm very selective. And for somebody, I mean, if they're in your family, you don't necessarily get those choices, right? But right. really being selective of having friends that are going to help me grow and help boost me and, um, you know, help cheer me on when I'm getting ready to do things that are uncomfortable or out of my comfort zone. And so I think that I try to also encourage others to be really selective of who are you spending your time with? Are these friends relevant to where you're at in your life? Or can you honor them in a different way than spending time when they're, you know, maybe choosing to be negative or sucking the rest of your energy out? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, like um, as a self-identified introvert and someone that can have their energy drained by interacting with people, mm -hmm. um, I definitely identify with, you know, picking people to get build really strong bonds and relationships with, like yourself. Um, and all the other great folks in our merry little crew, um, you know, so, and that works for some people too. Some people like, like, I know my wife is very much like know all the people kind of person and, you know, mm -hmm. you know, hug puppies, kiss babies type, you know, um, personality, really wanting to, uh, you know, connect with folks. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is you know, the quality of the people around you is such an important Thing for your success, you know, and, and for your outlook, um, you know, and for your self-care, self you know, when you think yeah. of, and I think that I, I was challenging a, a coaching client the other day, just on the energy that gets drained in interactions with other human beings. And so we have to pay attention to the emotional drain, right? Yeah. Not just the physical drain. Um, and when we find every time I'm with this person, my energy just goes away because they steal all that energy, then we have to be careful about that. Yeah. And if we want to fix that situation or whatever, right, there may be some limits to that, but paying attention to how people either fuel you up and make you feel more alive and vibrant, or they make you feel negative or drained. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, Switching gears a little bit then, um, as you've uh, pursued this life of service in medicine and then self-care, um, 
what are have you had a couple of opportunities or things that have really opened up because of your work and you know being more aware and coaching more people to <laughs> take care of themselves mm -hmm. put the the oxygen mask on before helping others uh type mentality mm -hmm. um anything come to mind that that's really maybe surprised you or really kind of drives home the point on how important self-care is yeah I think one of the biggest revelations that I had was that the things that I thought were me problems, over committing, running behind, <laughs> um, then as I coached more and more women in medicine who were also mostly parents, I realized it wasn't an errand problem. It's a very widespread problem. And so how can I then, if I can help myself overcome things, so I became trained in, um, in helping people use the full focus planner because I needed more help strengthening how I focused and narrowed my focus and didn't overcommit. And my clients needed help with that. So I was like, okay, I can't help them any better than I know how to do it myself. And so seeing the trends that again, it's not a me thing, so many of the things I struggled with and I blame myself and really beat myself up for whether it was the way I was parenting, whether it was the way I was getting along with my spouse, whether it was the energy I had at the end of my work day, all of those things, just beating myself up about. And then I meet with these other women and they're just like I am. We have so many similar issues that we're dealing with. And so the good news is, is that since it's not unique to me, if I've found ways to successfully shift out of that situation and learn successful problem solving, then I can help other individuals do the same. And so that, um, and then also give them hope that they see me as being in a different place in my life than I was five years ago. And I think it also gives them hope that there's possibilities for myself too, even if you've been stuck in the same rut for 20 years. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's so important for people to know that they're not alone in this, mm -hmm. you know, that, that we all, <laughs> again, I like to, to point out that we're all human beings with feelings, with, you know, social needs, with, you know, the need to move our bodies and, and breathe and, and you know uh, live our lives mm -hmm. and I, sometimes in a lot of especially in the U.S. I think with corporate culture it can really grind you down to just be a cog in the machine which is nobody like aspires to be the greatest cog you know mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you, you want to be a little bit more than I mean you want to do really great work you want to be known for your work you want to take pride in the things that you do for work, but you also want to see your family grow up and mm -hmm. all the other things that are, that make life fun and you know rich and, and worthwhile. So, I'm, next question I that popped in my head is well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just oh, can I buddy up from you use that yeah, term yeah. cog in a wheel and it it's very similar to one of the terms I use is like we're not robots, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think many times people who are in really busy uh, fields, not just physicians or healthcare providers, but we just expect so much out of ourselves. And no matter what's going on at home, no matter what's going on in the office place, like we are not robots, we have feelings. And when I hear, it's painful to hear some of the things that people choose to do. They just heard their, their father died in between patients, and then they just go right into the next patient room. Right. 
Um, for myself, I remember, oh, it's been almost 20 years and my husband's a firefighter and I had called him, let him know there was a fire. He, it was his day off. He went in to go, um, go help. And then we heard that there were some fatalities and I was at the office and I didn't know if he was one of them. I know everybody at the fire department. It was a very small place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the physician in me thinks, oh, I have to keep seeing my patients that my day's not over yet. And then it's like, how am I supposed to do that? Right. I'm a human yeah. being and I don't know if my husband's still alive or not. And, and he, he ended up being okay, but we lost three of our friends that day. And so, and in hearing other people who turn on that robot mode and say, no, 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 I'm just going to push through. How painful is that when we can't just say, you know what, I need a pause. If you're enjoying listening to this episode of the Meaningful Revolution podcast, there's another kind of conversation that you might really enjoy. So check out Dara here explaining a little bit about high-performance coaching. I feel like in this particular moment where all of us need massive amounts of self-care, high-performance coaching is one of those huge gifts you could give to yourself for self-care. It's one of those things that just shapes your life in all these ways you never imagined. And I think I would just tell a friend that it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and get ready because it's gonna shake up your life. <laughs> like, it almost feels like, you know, you don't even realize as you're going along kind of these progressive steps and all of a sudden you know 12 sessions in or however many sessions in you're like wait a minute i'm planning and thinking about a life that is you know drastically different in many ways and so it's just it's almost like this mental shaking up and getting all the crap out of your head so i think it's it's an amazing experience and it's incredibly energizing and it's worth every penny. Awesome. I love having deep conversations with folks, whether they're in my podcast or in my coaching practice. And so if you'd like to have your meaningful revolution started through a conversation and high performance, please stay tuned to the end of this episode for your invitation on how to get started. Or asking for help and allowing somebody else to step in for us so we can take care of ourselves and giving ourselves permission for that. Absolutely. And on that, I've always had this thought too, where I think most patients or most people just to show a little bit of, of empathy for this type of thing here. If you had a choice, if you had to go in for surgery routine, not routine, and you had a choice mm -hmm. between doctors of someone who just was able to sleep 12 hours, had a big breakfast, spent time with their family, is now rolling into the office, getting ready to do their thing that, you know, it's surgery versus a doctor who's been up for 36 hours straight, mm -hmm. is super stressed, maybe like forgot to eat the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and then found a personal tragedy, like a family member passed away or is injured. Like, who do you think is going to give out of those two fictional doctors 
the best care. You know, it's going to be the person that is in a way better headspace that has slept. Um, mm -hmm. If anything goes wrong, I want the person that's really sharp and rested and relaxed to, yeah. you know, be the one to be like, oh no, but this is what we got to do to, you know, save the day or save the, the patient or whatnot. Um, I think it's really putting a lot of our healthcare outcomes at risk when we push the medical staff and the, the people that provide medical care to us to their limits. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not just, I think the chronicity, right? You can handle something for a very short period of time, but it's like doing, you know, I talk about the doing the sprint pace for a marathon length of time. Yeah. And that's not possible because you're going to, you're going to bonk, right? You're going to, yeah. you're going to run out <laughs> of gas and you're going to have to stop. And so that's something where as a physician, we can, we can run a sprint's pace for a while and then we have to recharge and regroup. Yeah. Take a break. Right. Um, so with people that might be in an intense work culture, you know, mm -hmm. I've experienced this in tech and we're not, you know, lives generally don't depend on us <laughs> or at least in my career, it's been retail stuff or, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that people enjoy. It's not life or death. But if you find yourself feeling trapped or feeling cornered or feeling hopeless about what you can do, um, what have you maybe experienced yourself where you've been in that, that mode? Like, what, what's the challenge there? And what's the big, like, maybe number one thing that really helps people in that mm -hmm. zone? If you're in any of the fields we talk about, education, yeah. law, medicine, engineering. Yeah. Um, I, I think the first step is awareness. So just like if a person's been depressed their whole life and they don't know what it feels like to not feel depressed, how are they gonna know? Or like you see the videos with the kids when they get the hearing turned on with their mm -hmm. cochlear implants for the first time. And it's like, whoa, there's this new sensation. I've never felt that before. So if you don't know what it feels like not to feel stuck, not to feel exhausted, not to feel overwhelmed, mm -hmm. then the first thing is building awareness. And usually that comes maybe from an outside source. Again, for me, it was having a coach teaching me, yes, boundaries are healthy. They're not a sign of weakness. Oh, mm -hmm. that was a new idea, right? So somebody to challenge old beliefs. And then that awareness becomes even more heightened when you can have a different outcome that week because you made different choices, right? So we all have things we have control over and we make big and little choices every day. Mm -hmm. And then as we continue to make different choices and we get different outcomes, even if it's a tiny little choice, I'm going to sleep 10 more minutes a night. I had one client who that's all she did. I'm going to commit to 10 to 15 more minutes of sleep a night. And mm -hmm. guess what? After a few weeks, her energy is boosted. She didn't go to the gym. She didn't change the way she was eating. She did one tiny little thing. And it's kind of like little, um, little increments of change and you keep moving forward. And then you're going to end up in a, an entirely different direction than you started out at. Um, but if you're not aware that there's a problem with how you're doing things, or maybe for me, even the family members, my sisters and my mom all work the same as I did, even though they weren't healthcare providers. So all of the role models, my peers, everybody was doing the same thing. So I didn't see that there was a different way. And I was one of the people who started doing it differently first out of the people that I interacted with. And so but then you experience something different and then you have a real awareness and you're like, oh, 
So <laughs> now for my own self, I have such awareness and I like where I'm at now so much better than I was at for the first 20 years of my career. When I start feeling shifts and I get back, going back to that direction, mm -hmm. I have to course correct much, you know, I, I course correct much more quickly now because I'm aware, nope, I like where I'm at better than I where I was before. So raising awareness is the first piece. And once we have an awareness that there's a different way of being, mm -hmm. then getting those people who are gonna cheerlead you. So many of the things, signing up for a coach, I was berated by my family. They're saying, what are you doing? I didn't know what I was gonna get out of it. It was one of the best decisions of my life, totally life-changing. And I had zero support. I didn't know anybody who was a coach or who had been coached. I just knew that this was like the universe opening up an opportunity for me and I was supposed to take it. And mm -hmm. so again, not listening to the naysayers and people are like, why are you doing this? And, yeah. and then who's gonna cheer you on and so that you can get to a different place and getting close to the people like you want. I want like them, right? I want more like that. Mm -hmm. Get close to those people and they can mentor you and they can help pull you along so that you can get closer to where they're at. Um, so that's so fantastic. And, and again, you know, we you know, just like the law of, you know, you are the average of your like 10 closest people of success, mm -hmm. finance, happiness, stress mm -hmm. levels, all that kind of stuff. So if you're someone that had been struggling with that support uh, uh, oh, I want to change, but my coworkers are just as miserable as I am, and they don't mm -hmm. want the boat to be rocked. So any any change is threatening to them, so they'll try to mm -hmm. stop it. Or my spouse isn't supportive, my family isn't supportive. I'm curious, how do you maybe evaluate the people around you on how to level up or to to get to where you want to go? Like, how do you make that jump of like, okay, I don't like this, mm -hmm. I don't have a really good more role model for what's next but i know there's something different yeah how do you go and think through relationships or strategic strategizing to mm -hmm. create that group sometimes i think it's having patience and taking time so for example i've gone through a big career shift over the last couple of years i was working full-time i was the medical director of my nonprofit medical uh, organization and put in you know sometimes 60 plus hours a week and um, was very involved in, you know, helping problem solve. And we were a growing organization. We've grown from about 18 employees. Now we're 50 plus employees. Wow. We tripled the number of programs we were in. So we were moving in a shaken. Um, and so, and, and yet it took its toll on my energy stores and how much time that I was putting in and I was ready for a shift. And so in early 2020, I actually lost both of my parents within five weeks. So not related to COVID, but it was at the beginning of COVID. Sorry and I, yeah, thank you. So, and it gave me, as again, one of those signs from the universe saying, you know what, like if this isn't a wake up call that you can make some changes so you can be more present for your family so you aren't always at work um, it just was a big sign for me to make a change and so in the first few months as i was talking to my family about well what if i became a coach i'd already started doing some wellness support and a retreat for women in medicine 
and everybody, my kids, my husband, you know, my kids were like, are we going to have to move out of our house? Are we going to go bankrupt? Are we going to be living on the street? Like they didn't know how's mom going to make money outside of medicine. That's the only thing they'd known. So the first three to four months, I had to convince my own little circle, my inner family, I think I can do this differently. And then can I get your support? And so after three to four months, they finally said, okay, let's give this a try. And so then I put in my six months notice and then I stepped down from my leadership position, started going part-time and I've kind of wrangled down how much I'm working in the office. And, uh, but it was a long drawn out process and I was ready to make that decision three to four months before my family was, but I also mm -hmm. wanted to honor their worries and concerns and make sure we had vetted through the worries and concerns. And I wasn't being like irrational or rash, making a rash decision. Yeah. And so I needed to make sure, and I think that's one of the big changes I've had over the last five years is really being open to other people's needs, their input and really listen, mm -hmm. make sure I'm hearing what they say. <laughs> And so that this can feel like a decision we're making together as a family, right? Win or lose. It's not, I'm making this decision my way or the highway, which used to be very common in my family, which I'm not proud of. Um, mm -hmm. And so it feels good that we made this decision together and they're more, they're supportive of me because I didn't make that decision on my own. And then I've been able to back down in my office with, I feel like with grace, I'm not going out in a, you know, burning pile of ashes, right? Because I burned myself out. I'm like, I'm ready to step back. I've given a lot. I love this organization. I love the people who work there. And, um, and so I don't want to damage it by staying too long or by not giving my best and feel like I can serve in a different way, including to that organization through my new wellness practices. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. That That's, I love the idea of, because I, I think in, in personal development a lot, there's like, you have to like have support or you get rid of the haters and like, sometimes the haters are your family, you know, mm -hmm. to make it a little bit more extreme, maybe than your case. I'm sure they love you. And, yeah, and no, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a very, I have a very um, opinionated daughter, but actually when you can listen to the words, even of the haters, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's some glimmers of truth in what they're saying and when we can listen and i you know i'm a second degree black belt in in uh taekwondo so i you know i, I learned you thank people who give you correction because otherwise they don't know how to give it to you so right. i don't agree on you know like getting hung up on what haters have to say and yet if mm -hmm. somebody is telling you something i think one of the biggest growths that i've had for my own relationships that's so powerful is the growth i've had with my um, my daughter, who's now almost 18 or almost 19, and she was wow. born into the wrong family. Her love language is quality time. She was born a twin to me as her wow. mom, who was working <laughs> all the time, a dad who works 24-hour shifts, right? She should have been born into a family who had a stay-at-home mom, and an only child would have been a much better fit. Right. And when I recognized my parenting and our lifestyle didn't meet her needs and what can I do to better meet her needs, then our relationship began to blossom. And that's one of the things that I love about personal growth and development is I've had a couple, there's another work relationship that we were on such shaky ground, no trust. And I'm like, 
this person deserves better from me. What can, what can we do? And now we have a very strong relationship and I get to cheer her on and she has learned to trust me because I learned things like boundaries can be healthy mm -hmm. instead of thinking somebody's weak when they're setting healthy boundaries. So, so yeah, the, the relationship things have been my biggest um, gain. And, wow. and that's one of the reasons I want to encourage others to kind of think outside the box learn and grow new thing, new, new ways of thinking, right. Instead of trying to fix problems the same old way. Um, uh, because I, you know, my daughter and I've never been closer and we've, you know, we still have our bumps in the road, but because I've been willing to listen to what she has had to say, the ways I parented her that didn't meet her needs, her interpretation of events in our lives has been such a powerful gift to me. Not easy to hear. Right. And yet going to help me not make those same mistakes again. And yeah. so I thank her for giving me that input when some people might take it as criticism, but how else can we grow? hundred percent. And what I also really love about listening about enrolling the family in the decision-making, even when they, maybe they weren't initially supportive of this new chapter mm -hmm. is it's also another way to say leadership like you were able to in that moment lead the family lead the people around you to that mm -hmm. supportive network that you that you needed but mm -hmm. that also works for everyone and so um I just had that kind of I clobbed onto that and I wanted to point that out too um that leadership in organizations or in your family or mm -hmm. in your community is a lot of time listening and co-creating and making sure that everything everyone's taken care of without that ego of saying also that like I'm the one that makes the decision it's mm -hmm. like I don't have to be the one I have an idea what we need to do but maybe you know we'll get some more buy-in if people listen or yeah. we'll come up with an even better solution that I can't even see by myself. Mm -hmm. And that that's mm -hmm. really um, amazing. So um, it sounds like uh, to kind of maybe tie a bow on this, it sounds like self-care allowed you to step up into leadership as a kind of a broad category more mm -hmm. in your life in that, oh, I need to change this or I need to bring people on board instead of mm -hmm. like plow through Right. And even having energy, I joke around as a mom and a pediatrician, there were times when I had, you know, three kids under the age of four, that I didn't have enough energy to um, enforce a timeout. Mm -hmm. And it used to drive our, we had a live-in nanny at the time because of my call schedule, my husband's schedule, but it used to drive her crazy, but I didn't have the energy. There was nothing left. Right. And so by doing the self-care, by saying it's not okay to go on four hours of sleep a night. Like that's, yeah. you know, crazy. Um, of course, now I have more energy to sit and listen, to patiently wait for somebody to come around. I've waited eight months at times to have a conversation that I needed to have with my boss, waiting for the right time, right? And the old me would have been impatient. I don't have enough time for this. I'm gonna do it on my time. And it's like, no, actually I have enough capacity to not just look at my own plate in a selfish way, like when we're so overwhelmed and, and yeah. feel like we're in survival mode, we can only look at our own plate. But when we're taking better care of ourselves, we can look up from our own plate and look around and say, oh my goodness, everyone around me is struggling like I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. It's not all about me. 
right? And I have the energy and the bandwidth to then say, yes, I can address my own stuff. And at the same time, that doesn't prevent me from then helping others and listening to others and honoring them and where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Um, all right, let's switch gears a little bit. So okay. um, as we're talking about, you know, self-care, personal development a little bit is also kind of tied in that. What are three like influences or concepts or topics that really have influenced how you think about self-care over the last like five, 10 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of the influences happened over the last five years because I really shifted my routine, my my regular way of going about things. So prior to that, all of my learning had to do with medicine, continuing medical education. It was about learning new things for my leadership positions or in, in the medical office. And then I began listening to books on Audible um, because I had I was struggling with my relationships. And at a mastermind, I asked one of the leaders of the mastermind who was a relationship expert. I'm struggling at home and as a supervisor at work, what do you recommend? And he said, the five love languages. And I'd heard of the book before. I'd actually gotten a copy of it as a wedding gift, probably what it was like 15 years before that. Never read it. I'm like, oh, me and my husband get along fine. I don't need this book. (laughs) Little did I know I needed the book. And I'd also always told myself, I'm a visual learner. I can't learn by auditory, but my stack of books was piling up on my bedside stand and I wasn't getting to any of them because I didn't take the time to read. And I thought, well, I'm spend some time in the car every day. So the very next day I downloaded Audible. I downloaded the five love languages for teenagers. And within three weeks, I'd listened to the entire book. First entire book I've listened to, had listened to ever and only a handful of books, even though I used to be an avid reader, that I allowed myself to read during my medical career. And so then that started this continual, I always have at least one, if not two books that I'm listening to on Audible. So I get through a book about every three weeks. So now I've got 50 plus books Mm -hmm. that I've listened to. And is it as good as reading, writing notes, you know, reading the book itself, it's not, but it's better than nothing. And so that has really helped me in their almost all you know, personal development, positive psychology books. And so they give me so many tools to solve problems that I didn't have before because I've got all that knowledge in my head. So that self-directed learning through what I listen to and listening to what are other people listening to, listening to podcasts, listening to different influencers who are trying to make positive changes. And what I found is when you listen to like lately, the messages in all the books have been all about mindsets. So I listened to Limitless by Jim Quick, listened to uh, High Five Habit by Mel Robbins, just listened to Good Morning, I Love You. And there's so many messages in there about our mindset and recognizing the power of our mindset, keeping us stuck or allowing us to break through to that next level. And really, how can I then help my own clients and the, my people I work with and my own family shift their mindsets as well and take away some of those self-imposed um, limits that they're placing on their life. So that's that, again, self-directed learning and, and listening to the message. And sometimes you can listen to a message from a person like my CEO is a big runner. That's how she burns off stress. That's how she stays sharp. And so she kept harping on me, Aaron, 
why aren't you running? Why aren't you exercising? Oh, I just <laughs> went to the gym last night, had a great run on the treadmill, Did, you know, and I heard mm -hmm. it literally for years. And it wasn't until I heard Brendan Burchard talk about, if you are going to be on your A game, you must do these things. And meditation was listed, mm -hmm. stretching, sleeping, eating healthy, exercise, right? So I heard the message in a different manner. And so, and then sometimes you hear it repeated over and over again. And you're like, mm -hmm. okay, if all these smart thing, people are saying the same thing, I better start listening. And so that's when I started prioritizing exercise, prioritizing meditation, which I think I picked up maybe three or four years ago. And that's just a regular part of my daily self-care, almost daily self-care. And, um, and so then just being open to what are the messages, recognizing that anybody, a child, an adult, a coworker, a friend, everybody has something to teach us. And how can we open up our mindset and um, open up avenues in order to learn what people have to teach us? Strangers, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're listening, there's a lot of feedback the the universe or whatever your your beliefs are are giving you if, if you just take a moment to receive it so i love mm -hmm. that idea yeah so, and and that's how we connected yeah, right 100%. i i asked for help you opened up a door of opportunity for me and and there was that connection and then we chose to continue that connection and and when we're going so when we're so busy Mm -hmm. you know, that whole doing versus being, if we spend more time in the being and meditation is mm -hmm. what helped me get there, I couldn't be quiet and fully present without meditation. When we spend more time, then we see those little magical moments opening up mm -hmm. over and over and over again. But when we're going at, you know, 80 miles an hour, think about how blurry everything looks to you when you're going right. that speed, hundred miles an hour, 180 miles an hour on a bullet train, right? Think about how blurry everything is versus what if I choose to slow down, mm -hmm. go at a slower pace, at least part of the time. Think about how clear the flowers are when you're at a walking pace, a strolling pace, yeah. how much clearer things become. And then you open up more avenues than for those little magical things to come into your life again, whether it's the universe, God, or whatever your beliefs are. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to be looking for them and going slow enough and fully present enough to really recognize when they're there. Yeah, <laughs> it's super important. Mm -hmm. And yeah, one of those weird skills that I've found in my coaching practice where it's always been a balance uh, of creating those moments where you can see the opportunity and then take it versus, you know, going too far the other way. And that's all you're doing is looking at the universe for opportunities, mm -hmm. but you're so, you're going so slow. You can't move quick enough to then jump on it and, and do so. Um, I've always, I love, I'm someone that deeply believes people need more reflection in those slow moments and meditation in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the pandemic was this really weird kind of global thing where everyone was kind of forced to, <laughs> to take a breath and realize what are you doing? Do you even mm -hmm. like what you're doing? Yeah. What do you want for your life? And that, that you know, brighter, bigger future for yourself. So I, I think mm -hmm. that's so, um, but those, I, I always kind of bring that idea up when I um, 
of that balance because it's not something that I've seen. Um, so, okay. Anyways, I'm, I'm like trying to speak and then trying to think of the next question at the same time. So if you guys heard me kind of stumble there, that's just me uh, trying to multitask unsuccessfully. Um, so next question for you. If you're enjoying listening to this episode of the Meaningful Revolution podcast, there's another kind of conversation that you might really enjoy. So check out Dara here, explaining a little bit about high-performance coaching. I feel like in this particular moment, where all of us need massive amounts of self-care, high-performance coaching is one of those huge gifts you could give to yourself for self-care. It's one of those things that just shapes your life in all these ways you never imagined. And I think I would just tell a friend that it's worth it. <laughs> and get ready because it's going to shake up your life. <laughs> like, it almost feels like, you know, you don't even realize as you're going along kind of these progressive steps and all of a sudden, you know, 12 sessions in or however many sessions in, you're like, wait a minute, I'm planning and thinking about a life that is, you know, drastically different in many ways. And so it's just, it's almost like this mental shaking up and getting all the crap out of your head. So I think it's, it's an amazing experience and it's incredibly energizing and it's worth every penny. Awesome. I love having deep conversations with folks, whether they're in my podcast or in my coaching practice. And so if you'd like to have your meaningful revolution started through a conversation and high performance, please stay tuned to the end of this episode for your invitation on how to get started. someone wanted to get started in um, self-care. So imagine it's someone that's super stressed out, has been going, you know, 120 hours a week, not seeing their family, not taking care of themselves, has something come into their lives where they're like, okay, this needs to change for me. What would be like two or three things to just get started in taking care of yourself, like habits or, mm -hmm. um, you know, actions? keep yeah. kind of action focused. So I think the people who tend to run their lives at that pace have very high expectations. And so one of the things is to get a new habit. If you lower the bar so low that it's going to be impossible to fail, <laughs> do that. So for me, I meditate in my bed and it solves two problems. Number one, when the alarm goes off, I immediately turn on my calm app and listen to one or two, now, it used to be one, now it's regularly two meditations each morning before I even get out of my bed and I no longer snooze. I used to snooze and that wreaks mm. havoc on our sleep. If you've ever read the um, Mel Robbins' other book, The Five Second Rule, oh, and talks yeah. about how snoozing really wreaks havoc on your sleep, so don't snooze. So it solves two problems. I get to, I get to stay in my nice warm bed for another 15 to 20 minutes mm -hmm. and I stopped snoozing. And then each day, by the time I get up out of bed, I've already gotten one healthy thing checked off. Does it have to be, you know, to get the full benefits of meditation, they say it should be about 12 minutes a day, but even two minutes a day is better than zero minutes. Yeah. 
So what can you afford to do? Everybody can take probably five minutes out of their day, right? Carve that out and just add that one tiny little thing that's so easy to do and you're not going to fail. You can, at, while you're driving to work, tapping is another thing that can really decrease anxiety, help us feel grounded. So every time you stop at a stoplight, you can just take your fingertips and tap on your chest and in doing things that are going to trigger your parasympathetics, because we live so much of our lives, a big percentage in our sympathetic adrenaline soaked um, time, and we're not spending enough time in our parasympathetics. And by triggering more parasympathetics throughout the day, we're going to improve the quality of our sleep, even if we don't increase the quantity of our sleep. Mm. So what are those easy things, right, that you can do? that aren't going to add something to your day. So for me, I don't add 20 minutes of reading to my day. I listen to Audible while I'm driving. It's a win-win, right? You can listen to uplifting music in the shower, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Doesn't add any time to your day, but now you've got a mood boost. If you like, you know, smelling things like citrus are, you know, for me, orange and citrusy are really happy smell. So I have essential oils and I would have that in the shower or get that started when I sit down in my office. So finding what the tiniest little something that's easy to do, impossible to fail at, and just do that first. And then once you now maybe that five minutes of meditation, five extra minutes in bed, uplifting music, that's going to have a positive ripple effect. And you can use that momentum then to move you on to the next thing. And so maybe exercise. So now maybe you drink more water every day. And so you commit to drinking more water. How easy is that? Pretty easy. And so maybe exercise is a month or two down the road, but you've made the E do the easy things first to build that momentum. And then you might have better energy than to tackle the harder things. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I think you're leading into my next question, which I always love to ask guests because it always gets them thinking is after you get the basics done, you, you know, maybe you're not a beginner anymore, you're in that intermediate space. Is it like, you know, the one to three things to do? Is it like exercise, like the first one? And are there a couple more for people that ha have started and want to maybe up the quality of self-care yeah. and get to that next level? Mm -hmm. So I, I know for myself, when I, um, I, I'm fairly fit, I do a lot of walking, I'm, I move a lot. But unless I'm doing like getting my heart rate up and I'm doing like running, jogging, I joined a, a kickboxing gym. Mm -hmm. If I'm not doing that kind of activity two to three times a week, my brain's not going to function. I, I remember when I first joined this kickboxing gym and I'm at, it's called nine rounds. And so there's nine different things you do for three minutes at a time with a 30 second break. And so by the, the ninth one, it's only, it's a 30 minute drop in workout, super easy, super fun, moving your body, lots of fun things to do. So makes your brain agile as well. And I remember sitting there with like one of those yoga balls and I don't remember what the activity was. And, but I was on my back and I was staring at the ceiling. And I was like, oh my gosh, like my brain just exploded with all of these great ideas with my business. Oh, nice. And so, and I'd only gone to the gym like a, a handful of times and that's all it took to then say that's, you know, so if you, if you want to level it up, really figuring out for yourself, for me, I have to exercise. If I'm doing a big thing, like a big talk or a big something, I want to get some calisthenics in earlier in the day, like doing a jog or something. Um, 
So really paying attention to what works for you and then, um, and then figuring out, you know, getting outside in nature, right? Doing that. Um, and then journaling, right? That's another big thing that not everybody takes advantage of. And journaling and then the reflection, I think you commented on that maybe earlier, is when I go back and I look at my notes that I've taken over the last five years with my coach, and I do that self-reflection, and I was like, you know what? It's documented in my notes. It took me six weeks to break a habit that I had for 20 years of staying at the office too late. Yeah. Six weeks of coaching, and I was out the door hours earlier. Wow. And, yeah. then, and then I can also look and say, it took me two years to go to my first yoga class. Like I put it <laughs> off that long saying to my coach, I'm going to go to yoga, I'm going to go to yoga, and then yeah. it just didn't happen, right? So taking that time to reflect so that you know what's working and what's not you know where you're stuck and where you're making progress. Um, you know, kind of what you don't measure, you can't change or you yeah. can't get to the next level and being okay with continuing to challenge yourself, right? If it's easy now and you're comfortable with what's going on, okay, level it up. Do you want to do a half marathon? Do you want to do a full marathon? Um, you know, what is it that you want to do? And then you do hard things and you're like, wow, I did that, yeah. right? And how power, and then you're demonstrating to other people they could do it too if you can yeah i love that and you know <laughs> years ago i signed up for a marathon just mm -hmm. you know not being able to run 15 minutes straight you know signed up for chicago marathon um and that 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 thing you just said about people see you in action and get inspired um so i was my first job in tech and probably about three months into training, I'd cut a bunch of weight and, you know, I was feeling all the energy, all the, the, the good, mm -hmm. um, everything, like, you can get addicted to running, that runner's high is a real thing, mm -hmm. you know, um, but I had my whole team going out at lunch then to go run with me because they saw how impactful it was. It was mm -hmm. super strange, like, seeing people in action like that, but I, so I love that, so you know, raise your, get your heart rate going through kickboxing, through whatever is going to, to elevate your heart two to three times a week. I love that. I'm um, getting out in nature. I, I, I'm pulling out from what you just said. And then that, that general reflection on tracking yourself, understanding how long it takes for you to do things or not do things. Um, and why digging into why I think is, is that next level, at least when I talk to, to my folks, um, like, clients where it's like okay it's like you didn't do this that's mm -hmm. one thing to notice that then it's like that next step of like and it's usually painful because people are avoiding something but it's like mm -hmm. why did you not go to yoga for two I mean, was it just life got busy and that's 100 percent okay or was it like you thought it was too weird or like mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah well and i think too is that inaction is still a choice it's still an yes. action when you choose not to do it yeah. and so when we own the things we don't do as well as the things we do it's like oh what was my excuse it's just was i didn't make time for it i didn't schedule it had an interest mm -hmm. and um and yet didn't prioritize it so yes. <laughs> and was still and was still overcommitted, right so yeah it was surprising to me how like in the this program that I've created, I call it shrink the plate, right? So I like, mm -hmm. I mean, I think of us as having these ginormous plates filled to the brim and there's just crap falling off all over the place, right? Because we just have overcommitted to way too many things. And yeah. it's amazing 
how many things you have to take off your plate in order for it to then be more reasonable so you can get to everything. So for me, like my, my visual cue is if I've done my laundry and I don't put it away, I'm overcommitted because if I have the time to do the laundry and I put it away, I finish the task a hundred percent. That means I'm not so scatterbrained that I'm not finishing things and that I have enough bandwidth and time to finish my tasks. So that's something that helps give me a thing like, oh, Aaron, what are you overcommitted on? How many new things are you doing? And what do you need to stop doing in order to get this back under control? Yeah, that, that learning yourself tells are such an important part of that reflection process. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because that is, I love that it's like, oh, I didn't finish this thing that I do every week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's telling me something is not balanced in my life. That's telling me mm-hmm. to really start paying attention. I love that. Um, and you're going to pay the price no matter what. So yeah. like we've been, we've had four different people in our, on my husband's and my side of the family pass away in the last four years. We inherited a lot of extra stuff. It's been in our garage and we haven't, you know, we needed to get over the emotional triggers and everything, but we're in a place where we can do it, but we haven't carved out the time. So now we're doing a big fundraiser for a breast cancer walk that me and my daughter and her boyfriend are doing next month in Chicago. And so my husband has given us permission to have a fundraising garage sale. So guess what? You know, I spent 10 to 12 hours in the garage, two days in a row last weekend, lots of fun. I call (laughs) it procrastination pain because I didn't get to it an hour at a time throughout the last several years. So when we choose in action, right? We're going to pay, pay the price or somebody's going to pay that price at some point. Yeah. And can we learn to do a better job fitting it into our regular routine? So it's not so painful when we finally get to that um, because we've waited so long. Yeah. It's <laughs> getting me thinking about a lot of the things that I've been procrastinating on now that I need to go and make sure I well, journal on after this. Yeah. Well, and then the clutter, right? So part of yeah. self-care is Um, You know, dealing with the clutter in our space, the clutter in our head, which can be negative thoughts, right? So I think that we haven't talked about this a lot, but the power of our thoughts, right? We're with ourselves 24-7. Yeah. And so one of the best gifts we can give ourselves in self-care is, what are you telling yourself? I had one client that shared that she was worried her daughter was going to inherit her traits, because she struggles with anxiety. She's a worrier. And I was like, you know what? Your daughter would be blessed to get half of the traits you have. Like you are such an incredible human. I want you to see that like I see that, right? And when you're telling yourself, and there's this thing called the reticular activating system that the last few books I've listened to have all talked about it. And think about the hundreds of thousands of pieces of information that are coming into your brain every day. Mm-hmm. And your brain has to filter it out, right? Can you imagine if you're driving down the road and your brain had to acknowledge every leaf on every tree you drove by and every spot on the side, like your brain has to filter. And so the reticular activating system trains you on what to let through that filter. Mm-hmm. And so if you're telling yourself negative things, oh, I stink at organization. Oh, I'm such a procrastinator. You're actually telling your brain, look for those things that tell you you stink at this, look for those things. And so we need to rewrite the script and saying, I'm figuring out how to have less clutter. 
I know how to figure things out. And so your brain starts looking for, I'm going to find those things that Aaron's figuring out on decreasing clutter, right? Yep. Um, I, I stink at math. No, not really. Like you have the ability to do math and you know how to get better at it. And so the other, and that's a huge thing because think about the negative ripple effect mm -hmm. that we're creating in our life when we are so critical. And one of the things I ask my clients is, would you say those same things to your sister or your best friend? Yeah. Can you treat yourself more like you would your best friend with that respect and that honor, whether it's self-care or the language that you're using. And if you can't use better language with yourself, how are you gonna role model that for your child that you're worried about? Yeah. And so it was, uh, I think in one of the books I've just looked to, it talked about shut your mouth. You know how our parents might've said, shut your mouth if you've got curse words coming out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, you hear that negative word come out of your mouth and you say, no, shut your mouth. Don't yeah. even let that come <laughs> out. It's not true. And what really is true is this alternative. Yeah. I, I like to I describe it to my clients as like that scene in Indiana Jones where he's got like the sack of sand and the gold statue. And so you, what you want to do is swap out, excuse me, swap out the bad thinking with mm -hmm. something a little bit more positive. So something like I hate my job is like, I just don't love my job yet. And that mm -hmm. little shift in language, like you're talking yeah. about, you'll, be looking for reasons to love your job because mm -hmm. you just haven't figured it out yet versus looking at all the things that make it really terrible. So, and, and I think that I've come to the realization, this is my theory anyway, you know, you see couples who've divorced mm -hmm. and they went from loving couples that got along and saw good in each other to being total enemies and all they can see is the negative. Yeah. And so when, so we have the ability to shift from good to bad, bad to good, right? We, that's a, the power of that reticular activating system in our brain as a filter because we're telling it what to look for. And so if I look for every one of my spouse's negative traits because we're no longer a couple, that's exactly what I'm gonna find. Yeah. And so same thing when I'm hearing all of, you know, sometimes if I'm, you know, my daughter's struggling, whatever, and she's gonna take it out on me and I just hear every negative thing and I say <laughs> to her, I say, if that's all you're looking for, the negative things that I'm doing right now, there's positive things happening too, but you're missing them. You have to look for those, or maybe it's with her brother, right? Cause you know, who, yeah. it, you know, so we have to look for those things in order to see them. Yep. And in some, and a lot of times that takes practice if we're not used to looking for those things. Uh, what habits keep you on purpose or on mission on, on you know, promoting self-care and, and changing culture? Um, to be more accepting of self-care each day, each week, each month, or each over the year? Mm -hmm. I think the two biggest self-care habits that I've implemented over the last few years that have helped me be the most successful in maintaining self-care is increased sleep. And in it, I'm still not as good as I would like to be, um, mm -hmm. but I really realize how much sharper I am, how much clearer I think, how much more productivity I have when I get a full night's sleep. And so for example, the last few nights, I have an alarm in my phone that's called sleep timer. So when I'm setting the alarm, it tells me how much sleep are you going to get if you go to bed right now? Oh, cool. And so when I'm setting it, you know, so can I make it around eight hours plus or minus? And then it tracks. You slept 
an hour and 15 minutes more than your average last week. So it, it helps keep me accountable and by tracking how much I'm sleeping. And so the last few mornings I've actually woken up on my own without, you know, before the alarm goes off. So that tells me, Hey, you're either, you're really stressed out, which wasn't the case, or you're doing a better job at getting enough sleep because you're waking up on your own timer. So that is really, really helpful. And then the other thing is the meditation. And I just find, you know, when I meditate and I keep my cool, the majority of the time, think about all the interactions, all the negative interactions I'm preventing. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I had a conversation with my son a few weeks ago and I was calling him out. Um, I think I was on vacation for two weeks. He was in charge of watering the plants and a lot of them died. And so I was just talking to him about, okay, so here's my expectations. And I, you know, I was in a calm voice and I said, so tomorrow I'm going to have you help me cut back the plants. We're going to need to start watering them. We're going to see which ones we need to replace. And I'm going to ask you to be part of that because you were responsible for taking care of them. You had capacity and you chose not to do it. And his response was, why are you yelling at me? And I said, actually, honey, I'm not yelling. I'm just calmly. I said, I'm frustrated. Absolutely because I asked you to take care of this while I was gone and you didn't. I said, but actually I'm, I'm talking to you in a very calm manner. And he kind of went, Oh, I guess you are, aren't you? But (laughs) his, his anger came up and he was feeling that from himself and projecting it onto what he was seeing for me. But it really allowed me to, you know, the old me premeditation would have really lashed out at him. And it's like, he made a mistake. The plants aren't important to him. They're important to me. I feel like if, if I'm important to you, you're going to take care of my plants, but he's a teenager. He messed up. Okay. And so, um, so it really allows me the majority of the time to prevent those friction moments that are so easy, especially now, like mental health issues, people's stress levels, you know, two and a half years into the pandemic. And then it's just one more thing and one more thing and all the politics and all the things and people are just worn out unless they're taking care of themselves. So I was so happy that I started working on my own stuff three years before the pandemic hit. Right. Mm -hmm. I had my coach in my back pocket for years before the pandemic hit. So when I had people reaching out to me and their lives are falling apart and their marriages are falling apart and they're like, oh my gosh, can we meet for coffee or something? Like you seem to have it together better than some of us. Mm -hmm. And I still had a strong foundation to stand on, even though I had my own things going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I had invested in myself. I'd created a life that had a buffer. So even when worst case scenario, like I said, losing my parents in five weeks time, Did I take a hit in my emotional and my ability to deal with things? Absolutely. But I went into there strong when that hit. And so I was able to see the beauty in, you know, they weren't alone when they passed despite COVID. I mean, there were so many magical things about being able to be there for them when they passed that I look back and I say, thank goodness, I feel blessed the way that happened. And yet if I hadn't invested in myself and my own self-care, I wouldn't have been able to manage it like that. So, yeah. So those are the two, the two biggest things. Um, And then just strengthening my relationships because I've taken better care of myself. So my marriage is in a healthier place. My relationship with my kids is in a healthier place. I have friends when I used to not take time for friends. I have girlfriends and I do social things. Um, And so I think that 
the social piece, I wrote about this not too long ago on one of my blogs that the pandemic stole from us, getting together regularly, hugging, touching people, physical contact, seeing people's smiles. Think about that being gone from our lives for two years, that isolation. And so really seeing, you know, with whatever we're comfortable with now, but that that socializing, we're social creatures, even if we are an introvert, right? And yeah. we need that contact and we need to get together with people. And so that's one of the other things that I've chosen to do and not feeling guilty about it is I choose to be social. I choose to do things with my friends, even though it takes time away from my family, because I know that it's gonna be good for my self care and it's going to be healthy and then i can connect with other people and if they're feeling stuck i can role model for them healthier ways of doing things and encourage them oh you haven't been out let's go get together yeah. that's super great um, so aaron thank you so so much for uh, being on the podcast today uh, we covered a ton of ground i took a bunch of notes <laughs> myself i'll have to go through after this to do my little uh, recap for the audience. Um, before we let you go, uh, where can the good folks uh, reach out to you or follow up with you if they would love to learn a little bit more about um, self-care and the work that you do? Mm -hmm. So I'm in a bit of transition right now. I do have a Facebook group that's called Transformational Doc, D-O-C, um, creating happier, healthier healers. And so it's primarily to support healthcare providers. It provides information about my upcoming events. I do wellness workshops and then also lead coaching and other um, retreats and things like that to support mostly healthcare providers. There we go, okay. Um, and then I also have a website that is um, in, it should be going live about now and that's called thehappyhealthyhealer.com. And that has information on um, the different programs that I offer. Awesome. I'll have those in the show note links below this episode for you folks in case you did, weren't able to write that down real quick. Erin, um, again, thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. Uh, I, know, I felt <laughs> like there's a lot of areas where we see the eye to eye on mm -hmm. taking care of ourselves, personal development. Um, you know, finding meaning in the relationships around us and fueling that or living a great life. So again, thank you so much for your time for being here. Yeah, great to be here. Sounds great. Thank you so much. All right, folks, we'll see you in the next episode. See you then. Take care. Before we wrap up this episode of the Meaningful Revolution podcast, I want to extend an invitation for you to start your meaningful revolution through a high performance conversation. So if you go to seanbutter.com backslash coaching, you can qualify for a one hour strategy session with me as long as I have time and we will deep dive and have a conversation like the one you just heard. So if you like this podcast and what you just listened to, then I know you're going to love our one-on-one -on -one strategy session because we'll go in and we'll deep dive into your life through the high performance lens, this science-based process that people love, and we'll find some breakthroughs for you on how you can live a little bit more meaningful or feeling a little bit more fulfilled or feeling a little bit more connected to those around you. So, but don't take my word for it. 
Here's more of Daria sharing their story of how they were before and after certified high performance coaching. And again, if you're interested in qualifying for a free one hour strategy session, go to seanbutner.com backslash coaching link below wherever you're watching or listening to this episode. So over to Dara. Before coaching, I was just sort of like, like a machine just going along and doing the thing. And like, there were decisions that I must have made at different points along the way that seemed like small decisions, but they slowly added up to this life that didn't make sense to me anymore. And it just came crashing down and I took a day off of work and was like, I can't do this. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. What I do in my daily life, how I'm living my life, how I'm take, not taking care of my body and, uh, you know, socially, like just the whole picture was just kind of not, it just all felt wrong. And then I signed up to do the coaching and I think, it gave me this space to pause and reflect in a way that um, daily life doesn't always give us the structure to do that. And because you're paying money, you're making this investment, right? And so you're committing to it in a way that if I say, oh, I'm going to journal every day about my hopes and dreams, it's not the same as sitting down with someone, having somebody hold you accountable and showing up and doing the work. So before, yeah, just sort of this machine moving along this path that was sort of unconsciously set. And then after I just shifted simple things like how I uh, feed myself. <laughs> and like just little things that I'm suddenly aware of and who I bring into my life and um, how I spend my time and energy. And it just feels so much more in alignment with my values and my goals and my community and family's values and goals. So huge change. What an episode with Aaron, and I think we can all agree that self-care is so important. So I hope again that you've taken lots of notes on this episode like I have, but I, I really think the very easy habits of doing a quick meditation each day, even just for five minutes, can really change how you feel about your day. I think that tapping and trying to get into your parasympathetic system uh, to help you feel more grounded is another really quick hack that I know a lot of people in my coaching practice really love. Or just, you know, listening to uplifting music or getting enough H2O. So all basic things in high performance to help us have a little bit more control of how we show up because ultimately self-care is helping you show up in the present it's helping you do what you got to do to get ahead in your life so with that um that's what i'm taking away guys i really hope again that you're thinking a little bit more about your self-care and how it can help you feel better during the day or how it can help you relate better to the folks around you or you know to make that bigger impact out in the world because that's what we're all about and 
at the end, if you are doing self-care and working on meaningful things, that's when the magic happens. That's when people change the world. So I believe that, and um, I hope you do too. Listen to our next episode. If you like this episode, share it with three folks that you think might enjoy it. Um, and comment on Apple Podcasts or join us in our community at community.seanbutter.com. <laughs>